0: Welcome to The New Normal from Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today's guest is Mike Armstrong, vice president at ReadPop, the number one producer of pop culture events around the world. Mike helps ensure the success of once-in-a-lifetime fan experiences like New York Comic-Con, PAX West, Emerald City Comic-Con, Star Wars Celebration, and many, many others. Mike shared his experience on the evolving ways to serve the needs and desires of dedicated pop culture fans, and what it takes to postpone an event with tens of thousands of attendees, hundreds of exhibitors, and loads of busy celebrity talent. Enjoy our discussion. Is that your home recording
1: studio? A lot of years of college radio and listening to NPR has taught me that a blanket fort is the next best way to go.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: How are you? <laughs>
0: I'm good, but how are you? I'm doing all right, man. How's you? How are your family and loved ones?
1: We're good. Everyone's healthy. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, we're all a little stir crazy, but we're things are going as well as they can be. My wife. Uh, is also working. We've got a five-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son, and uh, just passing them back and forth. It feels like uh, every day is a survive and advance kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Has anything in your world moved to the virtual space yet, in terms of events or band gatherings, or have you have you been able to make that pivot yet?
1: Yeah, we have an event in the UK called Resd, which is um, an indie video gaming show, mostly focused on PC gaming. From the EGX brand that we own and operate, and the show got postponed. So on the weekend that the show was supposed to be, we ran something called EGX Res Digital, which went well. And you know, the the tech team put it together in like two days. It was a huge undertaking, um, and it was three days of panel content that you know was live streamed, and uh, it went well. Um, you know, like I said, it was pulled together in two days. There's a lot that we can draw on that. And then some of the teams did a few more organic things when emerald city comic con in seattle was postponed the uh, emerald city marketing team put together three days worth of content and exciting stuff and interaction with creators and highlighting small businesses that have been affected by all of this which has been our primary focus uh in the last month and then mcm which is another comic con brand in the uk um, did a similar social based uh, and, and YouTube video based virtual event. I don't, I don't know that we can call it a virtual event, but um, just keeping the fans engaged and letting them know that, you know, while the show might not be happening, that we're not going anywhere. Yeah.
0: As before all this happened, um, had you guys hmm. experimented with anything virtual or, or, or were you just so closely associated with in-person sort of gatherings of tribes that, um, that the virtual space was, was not really something you looked at.
1: I, I've been in the, you know, Reed Pop is a division of Reed Exhibitions, which is the largest trade show company in the world, mm-hmm. and we've been hearing about virtual trade shows forever, and the threat that that was going to be the thing that got us away from live gatherings, and I've never put that much credence in them. The ability to do business, if you're thinking about a conventional trade show, or the ability to be a fan and make purchases or really engage with somebody is is really difficult. But you know this uh, situation has accelerated a number of things that we've been working on for a couple of years. Our our first foray into the digital space was the acquisition of a company called Gamer Network, based out of the UK. The Gamer Network runs Eurogamer.net, GamesIndustry.biz, USGamer.net. Uh, you know, fifteen video game websites with a really innovative tech team and 80 to 100 journalists based in brighton in the uk so we've been able to draw on those resources to work to develop what a quote-unquote virtual comic-con or uh, video game convention looks like but you know this had been on the side of our desks for five years like uh, it was always something that we wanted to do and now we're forced to do it uh, not forced but uh, heavily incented to do it so um, we're doing what we can with the resources that we have, and we're lucky that we have a bit of a diversified business where you know, we're not solely reliant on sponsorships, ticket sales, um, booth space sales. We've got a really robust digital business in the UK, which right now is the only thing making any money and it's doing well because everybody's online and traffic is up. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're thinking about things in a way that we have been, but just a little bit more uh, focused and concentrated. Yeah,
0: it seems like in a lot of ways and, you know, just from the outside looking into your business, you could be really well suited to do some interesting things, not least of which is just around your relationship with content, you know, the fact that you already book talent, you already are so much a part of like, I guess, like the promotional circuit on the one hand for things like films and game releases, um, but also just the way, um, your events highlight the true creators behind this stuff, the developers, the creative people, the on-screen talent. Um, I can imagine a scenario where you could put, you could still do a really cool panel discussion or a behind the scenes demo, or a lot of the things you already do seem like they could be adapted. If um, either this were to drag out for a while or just to maybe create new products you know, in a sort of post, Pandemic world. you guys look from far away really well suited? Uh,
1: thank you, and I hope so. You know, um, it's taking a lot for us to not be viewed as a convention company, and people primarily think of ReadPop. Pop. They think of New York Comic Con, PAX, Star Wars Celebration. But you know, with this digital business, with our audience that we have that's engaged with with us 365 days a year, you know, I agree with you that we're really well positioned to do it. We just need to. Um, do a better job of not positioning ourselves as the answer when it comes to large-scale gatherings. Um, we need to position ourselves more so uh, like a media company, which in a large way we are. Yeah,
0: yeah. You sit in such an interesting sort of nexus point between the fan community and the and the creative community. It, 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 those conference calls where you guys are talking about what to do next must be interesting and fun.
1: Um, yeah, they are fun, and I, I miss I miss being in a meeting room and having those, but. Uh, like Microsoft Teams or Zoom calls will do for a while.
0: Do you have any sense yet for uh, how fans are experiencing this shift, and specifically, like, are are fans interested in virtual opportunities, virtual meeting spaces? You know, um, the virtualization of what you guys do. Have Have you talked to fans, or have you seen other folks experimenting with things where there's been fan reaction? <laughs>
1: Yeah, we have and we've seen some of our, um, we've seen some other shows uh, in the industry start to do some things and um, the reaction has been strong, we've, you know, bought tickets to a couple of virtual events and our teams have uh, sat through it and looked at the user experience and they've looked at the price points and they've looked at the tech um, and so we're gathering all the information that we can so that whatever solution we come up with is is, uh, best in class. Um, so I think there is a need for it. If you look at any of these things we've participated in, there is attendance. You know, they might not be done as well as we think they can be done, um, but people want to to talk to the cast of Supernatural. They want to talk to the cast of The Magicians. Like there is that need for fandom. You know, a, a lot of it is being done directly uh, creator to fan uh, with no middleman. With um, you know, we see a lot of you um, see a lot of comic creators getting on and doing live sketching and. Um, then doing something with those sketches. Um, So you see a lot of that happening on one-on-one. It'd be nice for there to be a clearinghouse. One of the things that I love about our physical events is that it's a really great opportunity for discovery. And you can walk up and down the aisles of the show floor. You can walk up and down the aisles of Artist Alley looking for something in particular, but find something else. And that's really hard to replicate online. So we've been looking for ways. I'll give you an example. Like We have been talking a lot about individual creators and a lot about people in artist alley or exhibitors through our social channels so that we can keep uh these small businesses afloat we take that really personally and we end up linking out to four different big cartel sites or merch now sites or etsy stores or whatever and that really hinders the fans ability to find something new so we're working on solutions where we can have all of that living in one digital platform so that you can make one purchase from four different people and you've been able to kind of navigate things in a way where you're finding stuff you didn't know existed before, because that's why people go to shows. Um, and that's a hard thing to replicate online.
0: That's a really interesting, uh, point you make that. And I think we've seen that over the years, or we've seen the discussion about it over the years in the music space, which is this idea of social discovery, social media discovery versus duration. And it is often couched as a versus discussion, um, I'm, you know, and I'm sure on the Venn diagram, there's a significant overlap between the two. But um, I think you're exactly right. Like the, the social media tools, uh, the discovery seems to take the form of maybe you follow a hashtag or maybe there's an influencer in your network and you check out what they're up to. But by and large, I'm going to go sit in on a creative, um, you know, doing a matte painting or doing a drawing because I know about that creative probably Mm -hmm. not because somebody else told me. Whereas you, like I said before, have that relationship with um, so many hundreds of thousands or millions of fans as well as um, that creative community. And, And that does seem like the next point for you to be able to create the opportunities around, Hey, we know you, we know you came to this event. Therefore you might like this thing, or we know you attended this panel when you were at that event. Um, you might want to check out this thing. That seems like a really interesting opportunity to serve fans well.
1: Yeah, and that's, uh, from a data perspective, that's been our goal for a number of years. Um, And the nature of our shows, as I'm sure the nature of a lot of live events is, you are selling four tickets to one person, so you know the one person who bought the tickets, but you don't necessarily know the other three. So for New York Comic Con, I guess it was four or five years ago now, we launched something called Fan Verification, and that gave us the ability to know Uh, and to limit the amount of tickets that individuals could have. Um, One individual could only have one ticket per day. And it also, you know, well, it started out as an anti-scalping method. It turned into an amazing trove of data. So we now know that this person went to the Doctor Who panel, bought the Doctor Who shirt from our show store, and got to the show at 8 o'clock and left at 11 p.m. Um, what we can do with that data is really interesting. And it's a compelling sales opportunity for us as we try to leverage that data into uh, working with some of our content partners and, and letting BBC know, like, this is what you're, this, these are the other things that your fans of Doctor Who are doing. And that, you know, it, it's uh, an undertaking. And uh, we have really bootstrapped it till now. Um, but I'm thinking that, you know, this quote unquote downtime is giving us the opportunity to work on a lot of things that we've had on our plates for a while but have never really completed. And and going back to your point about Discovery, like, you're a music guy, I'm a music guy. You know, you used to find bands by going early and and listening to the openers. And, you know, I think that's, that's what a lot of comic conventions are. You go to a panel room early because you really want to see the HBO Watchmen panel, but in order to get a good seat for that, you need to sit through something else, and maybe you really love that other thing. So, you know, finding those opportunities for fans to discover something new is paramount for our our business because we're in the business of cultivating fandom but also creating new fans. Um, and, you know, once the fans go away, then these shows go away.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in so much as um, you're sitting around a crystal ball, <laughs> um, what are some prognostications? Um, I'd love to know what you think in terms of... Um, not only timing when we might start to see events again, but what those events might look like. You know, is there, a, is there an express entry if you flashed your card saying you've had the serology test and you're clean or um, are events half the capacity to, uh, and then inside there's other ways that keep people socially distant. Have, what, you know, are you having sort of logistics operational discussions yet and, and what do you see coming out of it?
1: We're having a lot of theoretical conversations. Um, the situation is so fluid, and we were one of the first dominoes to fall with Emerald City uh, in early March. That was the first show um, or large gathering that ended up getting canceled, uh, postponed rather. At the time, it felt like it was a cancellation because it hurt us all so much. But um, it ended up being postponed to August. So, because we work around the country and around the world, we don't really have a standard procedure. You know, we operate in. Javits Center in New York, which, as we know, has turned into a field hospital, as has McCormick Place in in Chicago, as has Miami Beach Convention Center in Florida. We're hoping to be able to run a show July 4th weekend in Miami. Um, Whether or not that will happen remains to be seen. We're operating as if it will happen, and then we'll pivot when we need to. But my guess is that for a show like New York Comic Con, October, Javits Center, 60,000 people a day, it's going to look different and is it going to look different because there are uh, federal and local mandates that make it look different is it going to look different because the appetite for fans to gather in the way that they normally have gathered will change we don't know yet um you know we all have our own predictions and talking to a lot of customers and exhibitors they all have their own predictions too um so we're kind of figuring this out day by day what does The entry process to New York Comic Con look like? Is there an appetite for people to sit in the queue Hall, which is like one hall of the Javits Center that we fill with people in the morning so they don't have to wait outside. It's 10,000 people in five shoots, you know, kind of jammed together, for lack of a better word. Are people going to want to do that anymore? I don't think so. So is it taking temperatures at the door? Is it um, asking for some sort of documentation at the door? I don't know what it looks like right now. And you know I don't know that we're going to know by July because the situation in Florida is going to be different than the situation in in Seattle when we're back there in August or when we're in Philadelphia in August or New York in October. It's it's totally different. We're all figuring it out as we go.
0: It's so surreal to think back that it wasn't even that long ago that um, Emerald City Comic Con was the sort of first domino to go. It feels so long ago, um, but it was really, what, maybe – Eight weeks ago? Eight weeks
1: ago? Six weeks ago. And we ran a show seven weeks ago. You know, we were in Chicago at uh, C2E2, which we had, I think, 97 was our final number, 97,000 people. And it was in the back of people's minds. You know, i we got slammed at security on Sunday. And myself, uh, our event director, Christina Rogers, and a few of other staff members ended up jumping on the security lines and checking bags and talking to people and being very close to people and touching their phones. And touching their jackets and in retrospect like there's no way we would have done that now without a hazmat suit knowing what we know now so um <laughs> the world has dramatically changed over over seven weeks and the uh, we're lucky that we've been able to get three really great shows in this year pax south pax east and c2e2 um all fantastic shows all or not all but c2e2 and pax east running around the time that this started to to come into the public consciousness. Um, we took really dramatic measures, uh, drastic measures during, the, uh, during both of those shows. And, you know, we couldn't get away with doing that now. Um, we couldn't get away with using the measures that we did then uh, when we restart. So everything's gonna be totally different. Yeah,
0: I have a, a couple of questions about sort of the anatomy of a postponement. Um, you know, when I think about a music festival, even a multi-day music festival where there's, you know, a couple of score or a few dozen artists Um, really at the end of the day. Yes. Each artist has its own deal, but there's only really a handful of uh, corporate stakeholders. You know, the artists are probably concentrated across four to six, maybe eight agencies, um, maybe a couple of outliers. And again, they could all have different representative agents within those groups, but you could wrangle a corporate discussion, I would think, with some ease in terms of getting to some policy harmonization and stuff like that. In your world, and not using any particular event as an example if you're not comfortable, but you announce a postponement, and it seems like your schedule over the course of a weekend is much more sprawling uh, because you have multiple tracks and you have even multiple disciplines. So it's not just Oh, we have to get some hollywood talent and rebook them you've got developers you've got artists you've got creative people on screen you've got directors you've got so many different types of talent across so many different types of events uh is my assumption right in that there's many more representatives involved many more stakeholders um and if so how do you go about lifting and shifting that how much of the content will actually be different from something that was scheduled in March and April versus when it actually gets staged later this year. Yeah,
1: I'll give you a couple of examples. So um, you're right in that we deal with a lot of individuals, um, you know, individual talent who are doing paid autograph signings, paid photo ops. Um, we deal with anybody from an artist alley perspective that we've paid to bring in. So that's your Chris Claremont's, Jonathan Hickman's, um, Jim Lee's of the world. And then you know, you're dealing with between 400 and a thousand exhibitors who have you know booth space on the show floor who were looking forward to generating some income or promoting an upcoming project so um, when we had to postpone emerald city um, we postponed it from early march to mid august so as soon as we start to get the sense that that's happening we reach out to our top talent the people who sell us our tickets you know uh, we had mark ruffalo confirmed uh, to attend emerald city comic con we had a number of other entertainment guests So we start reaching out to their agents and saying, hey, these are the new dates. Let us know if they're available. In a lot of instances, they are not willing to think that far out or they are not willing to think about this at all because the kind of situation has dictated that there's no action from Hollywood agents right now Um, or they're already committed to something else. Uh, We postponed Florida Supercon from Mother's Day weekend in May to Fourth of July weekend in July. By doing that, we moved on top of a uh, big show in Denver, Denver Comic-Con or Denver Pop Culture Con. So some of the talent we had confirmed for Florida Supercon was already committed to Denver. Denver has since postponed again, or they've postponed themselves to November. So some of that talent has now become available to us again, but... Um, not an ideal situation by any means, so you know with exhibitors, our sales team is on the phone trying to get people to recommit to new dates. Our comic and celebrity talent teams are trying to get people to recommit to new dates, and you know our attrition, uh, if you look across supercon and emerald City of content has been about sixty percent you know we've we 've been able to keep a good portion of it. Um, we've not been able to maintain the big stuff. You know, we're not getting indications that there's a lot of big Hollywood talent who's ready to commit to something right now, so who knows what the show is going to look like in August. But you know, in a lot of ways, it's the easy thing, is just trying to get people interested in attending. The sh- uh, coming to the show again as a professional, the, the navigating, uh, finding new dates with a convention center, uh, finding uh, hotel contracts has been the thing that has probably been the most challenging for us. That's incredible.
0: And I take it in your normal course of business, there's a there's a group uh, within ReadPop that just handles booking?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, two to three people who are in charge of booking all of our entertainment guests. They uh, interact with either smaller booking agents or they interact with the big Hollywood agents like WMECAA. Um, and then there uh, there's two people who work on comic guest booking. So they're focused on finding, um, you know, comic talent that is going to sell tickets to our shows. Um, They sit in artist alley, which is anywhere between 300 and 450 individual tables of artists sitting, signing, sketching, uh, selling their stuff over the course of the show. Um, So our, uh, our biggest challenge with those guys is just maintaining the relationships uh, with individual talent. And it's not like they're all uh, with one agent or agency. You have a lot of different relationships and schedules are so difficult because in a lot of ways, the most compelling celebrity talent are working actors and working actors primary, uh, you know, their, their main goal is to work as actors, not to sign at Comic-Con. So you're, you're navigating uh, shooting schedules and then you're navigating other shows and navigating their own personal need for money. Um, So yeah, it's, it's an incredibly challenging game of chess.
0: Yeah. One thing that strikes me, I guess as a potential positive, I don't know, is that at least everybody is starting from the same sort of starting block right now in terms of, you know, films aren't being filmed. Other Comic-Cons aren't being staged. You know, it's not like somebody else has an edge or is out in front right now. Everybody's sort of in wait and see mode. It also struck me that as some of the um, the ten-pole films move their release date, you know, at least maybe some of this can become list and shift. Oh, we were going to do... Uh, you know, 45 days of promotion starting April 1st, now we have to do 45 days of promotion starting August 15th, or what have you. Um, not to minimize the, the sort of terror that <laughs> that it brings <laughs> to, to your enterprise, I, but it does seem like there's some aspect that some of it can be coppled back.
1: Again. I hope so. I mean, I'm very much a, a proponent of Rising Tides lift all ships, and good small to medium-sized Comic-Cons benefit big Comic-Cons, which is what we run. And you know, for a lot of people, that's an easier point of entry, going to a, a local show and then realizing that they love it and then saying, okay, what's next, is a really good thing for us. So when smaller shows don't happen, I think that hurts the pipeline of people becoming uh, really invested in the fandom and wanting to attend the next big show. I personally don't like seeing all these shows canceled because I know what kind of an impact it has on... The organizers, Uh, I have personal relationships with a lot of them, and I understand what they're going through. Um, And then the uh, small businesses that are affected. If you look at the the dealer community, as we call them, it's guys, women who travel the country in a van selling old comics, old toys, uh, homemade creations. They don't have a physical storefront. They mostly don't have an online business, Um, maybe eBay, maybe Etsy. But knowing that they've lost, which will probably amount to four to five months of revenue, um, and knowing that a lot of them are happy going out to get "quote unquote" real jobs, if there are "quote unquote" real jobs left, um, you know that—that that was the thing that was most frustrating and, and disappointing about. Emerald City. In, in the end, it was the right choice, obviously. A day before we were supposed to open, the governor put a lockdown and said no mass gathering. So uh, we canceled six days ahead of that, which uh, postponed, excuse me. So w- we're glad that we made the right decision, but we knew it was going to have a ripple effect on those people and those comic creators who depend on our shows for a sig- significant portion of their money. So yeah, I you know I hope that the industry is kind of building all of this stuff up in reserve so that when your Comic Con runs in October that we've got a trove of content to show at the show, but I don't know what that's going to look like, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. How long before uh, Emerald City or uh, New York will you guys ideally be able to announce your new programming?
1: Um, we hope to be able to announce new programming for Emerald City. Uh, we were just talking about this today. We're going to start making announcements of guests that have re-signed um, and content that is coming back, probably within the next week, actually. So, you know, we are expecting one of the other difficult things for a show like Emerald city or a show like New York is that our tickets sell out mostly before the bulk of the content is announced. So people are buying on spec or they're buying on, um, you know, a a belief that the show is going to be worth their time and money. So it's nice for us in a way to be able to announce content before we have to put these tickets back on sale. Um, So that's our goal. We're going to get as much out for Emerald city as we have confirmed. And like I said, we had about 50 to 60% attrition. Um, and then put tickets back on sale in May. New York, uh, we plan on going on sale early summer. um, So we will be able to have some content announced before then. We already have a bunch of entertainment guests lined up and comic creators lined up and ready for that show. So uh, I'm hopeful that this might help us um, get content out before people have to make the commitment to buy tickets.
0: Well, as someone who lives in Seattle and likes to spend time in New York, um, I'm going to look forward to both of those getting back up and running. Um, and also as someone who, uh, values you as a friend and business partner, um, I'm wishing you guys the best. And as someone who really wanted to see the Back to the Future panel, I'm hoping that Uh, that falls in the right side of the attrition column.
1: (laughs) I hope so. Maybe, uh, yeah, I I think you'll be happy.
0: Okay. Um, Mike, thank you for uh, for making time. I know it's funny. You, you referred to, in air quotes, the downtime. And I have to say, this is, this is the busiest downtime I could have ever imagined in my professional life. So thank you for making time to do this. Um, it means a lot. And um, so I appreciate it. Thank
1: you. Yeah, it's my, my pleasure. Good to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much, Mike Armstrong. And thank you, everyone at ReadPop. Thank you to our editor Craig Snyder. And special thank you to Ant Taylor and the whole gang at Light. What's your new normal like? Let me know at lawrence at Light.com. That's L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E at L Y T E dot com. I really enjoy hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening and be don't safe.
1: Have to be alone. Just come on home.